Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Blister Podcast, Gear 30. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister. And as always, you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today, we're talking backcountry skiing with the founder of Bentgate, Greg Floyd. Greg founded Bentgate in Golden, Colorado back in 1994, and Bentgate has really become a cornerstone shop in the front range of Colorado for all things skiing and climbing. So our senior editor, Sam Shaheen, sat down with Greg at Bentgate this week to talk about some of the significant changes in backcountry ski culture that Greg's seen over the past 20 years and what Bentgate is doing to address those changes. And then, since this is, of course, Gear 30, Sam asked Greg about some of his favorite AT gear, some of the products that have stood out to him in terms of durability and in terms of value, and then they get into what in the world is going on with the category of climbing skins. As you'll soon see, Greg is a very candid guy and a very passionate skier, so this proved to be a really interesting and insightful conversation. Before we dive in, I want to just give a quick shout out to our Blister Climbing podcast, All Things Climbing. If you haven't checked it out yet, you really should. Our climbing editor, Dave Alley, is doing a phenomenal job with it. And on the most recent episode of All Things Climbing, he talks to the director of the documentary, Dirtbag, The Legend of Fred Becky. And while it is always worthwhile to learn more details about the force of nature named Fred, what I personally really loved about the episode was learning more about Dave's own interactions and relationship with Fred. So check that one out and subscribe to All Things Climbing, and I promise it'll be worth your time. And now let's get to Sam Shaheen's conversation with Bent Gates' Greg Floyd. So we're here at Bent Gate, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Bent Gate is sort of one of the cornerstone shops on the front range zone in there, uh, blister recommended shop as well. Um, and we're, we're, we're going to talk here to Greg, who's the owner founder, correct yep. owner, founder at Bentgate and, uh, pick his brain a, a little bit. Sounds good. Cool. So let's start, uh, let's start easy. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the background of Bentgate and how the shop got, got started? Yeah, definitely. Um, we started back in 1994. Um, it was uh, three of us got going, uh, myself, my sister Christy, who's uh, half owner, and uh, my buddy uh, Sean Holderbaum, and we just uh, had been living in Vail, uh, ski bumming quite a bit, coming down here to the front range. Uh, Christy was living in Golden. We were coming down uh, for rock climbing. Sean and I were both really into it, as was Christy at the time, uh, all very um, much skiers at the time, uh, less so backcountry back then, but just just getting into a little bit, um, you know, going to some of the shops uh, down here, uh, Neptune's, Mountain Miser, uh, so Neptune's up in Boulder, Mountain Miser down in, uh, in Denver on the south side, uh, sometimes REI, but less so, you know, we kind of like the small, uh, more personal, you know, uh, independent shops, uh, and just noticed a big gap in, you know, retail offerings kind of between Neptune's and Mountain Miser, uh, Colorado Mountain Club was moving into Golden at the time, the American Alpine Club. Uh, it seemed like a lot was going on in this area and just not a retail shop to support it. So, um, you know, three of us got together and kind of um, came up with just, you know, getting a small, small climbing shop going. Uh, we started across the street from where we're at now and what is now the Icelandic headquarters uh, in a you know, 1,200 square foot building and just honestly put our own gear on the walls and said, hey, we can order this stuff for you. You know, uh, Christy took out a uh, home equity line of credit um, and 
basically got us, I think, thirty or forty thousand dollars worth of gear uh, to put on the walls, you know, to complement what we had of our own. Um, yeah, we didn't didn't make any money right away. Uh, my wife, we were dating, and uh, she was a nurse, so I was able to get by with uh, living on on her income. Um, yeah, we just uh, kind of went for the first first couple years of just putting every every dollar that we made at the shop back into inventory and trying to build the shop. And uh, yeah, it's been you know, 20 some years now and doing more of the same. And we have uh, Christy's husband, Alex, is uh, a partner now. Um, those guys are half owner and me and my wife are half owner. My buddy Sean is uh, doing his own thing in uh, Southern California, living living the beach life now. <laughs> that doesn't sound too bad sometimes. No, no, we're <laughs> still good friends and stay together, you know, ski together, uh, you know, hang out quite a bit. Yeah, uh, cool. Yes, that's been good. So you guys kind of came to Golden at the same time as the Mountain Club and the Alpine Institute. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We were all. They were just getting going. They were uh, renovating the high school uh, here in town that is now the American Mountaineering Center. Uh, we've partnered with those guys many, many times over the years. Uh, mostly the Colorado Mountain Club, but uh, also the other organizations down there: the Colorado Fourteeners Initiatives, the uh, uh, Continental Divide Trail, the. Uh, um, American Alpine Club, the Mountaineering Museum. So, yeah, they were all kind of making their way to Golden. Um, oh, yeah, the uh, Access Fund. They were just uh, getting... The list never ends. <laughs> yeah, they were just getting going here. And so, yeah, they were actually... We worked uh, with the Access Fund when they were getting uh, kind of ownership of the Golden Cliffs, which is North Table Mountain here in town, which is one of the climbing areas uh, from one of the, the guys uh, that was a longtime landowner here in Golden. That was right when we were getting going. Um, yeah, quite a bit was happening in this town. Golden was just getting renovated with the, how the downtown uh, was, you know, they're trying to make it a more uh, friendly little downtown community. It was all kind of happening right right about that time. So you started in 1994. Since then, I think skiing and climbing have evolved a lot. Uh, can you talk about how the shop has evolved along with the, with the sports you guys serve in that time? Yeah, we've seen a huge change. Um, Especially, I'd say, in the ski categories where we've seen so much uh, climbers, uh, you know, have, it, I haven't seen quite as much from the gear side of things. Skiing has been where I know, like, our customers used to be way more uh, from the climbing side of things and used to the uh, kind of having to learn a lot more about uh, safety in the mountains. And uh, it, our backcountry skiers, when we first started, came from that background of having kind of that climbing mentality. Um, over the years, we've seen as the alpine skiers have kind of transitioned into our world a little bit more, um, a lot more really strong, powerful powerful skiers that didn't have maybe the education or the uh, backcountry know-how um, that I think uh, climbing gives you a natural uh, need for, uh, all the climbing gear is always about protection. And you have this mm -hmm. sense of like, hey, the mountains, there, there's something powerful here. I need to be aware of this and come into it with a, a great respect. I think a lot of uh, area skiers come in from a different um, understanding. You know, a lot of the ski areas take care of the safety aspect for you. And it's been quite a change in uh, how we approach our customers. And, you know, we've actually started having um, these backcountry one-on-one sessions in this little room where you and I are meeting right now because of some of the, we, we've seen a market demand for trying to get some, some knowledge to, to these, uh, new backcountry skiers that are already strong skiers. Just, they don't have the, uh, the safety aspect. And so we, we partner with a lot of our brands, 
and reps from like you know companies that have avalanche beacons or you know, like with Icelandic being across the street, they have people that are very backcountry savvy that are able to come over and lead these clinics uh, for us to to get some uh, some of this firsthand knowledge to consumers for free in an environment that's comfortable and not uh, doesn't have the, the pressure of a sales floor. We're not trying to sell sure. gear. We're just trying to relay what gear they might need and also a lot of other things like route finding and if they should be taking AVI classes, which pretty much everybody should be, and what those resources are and where they can find this stuff without having to just start from ground zero with a Google search. So, Well, I mean, that's really interesting that's, that you talk about that because I know from my personal experience finding or just skiing with, 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 with people that there is a real dichotomy between people who are climbers turned skiers or skiers turned climbers or ski mountaineers. I mean, yeah. whether the, you know, the person's background has so much of an impact on the way they look at the mountains, their decision-making, their skill set, and having come up sort of in both simultaneously, it's been really interesting more from I mean, my perspective isn't from selling gear or educating or whatever. It's about, being out with new people and making choices and, and decisions in the mountains and things sure. like that. But um, that's funny that you mentioned that because that's that's one of the like main trends I see. If, if a partner was a climber first, I'd be like, okay, I know what kind of day we're going to have. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. You know? That's interesting. Yeah. A lot of a lot of different things that are communicated at the start of the day and uh, just uh, little things like a, here, my keys are here, you know, here's my, you know, just how to proceed if things don't go go well um it, it's a lot a lot of different uh starts uh to how the conversations go with your climbing buddies versus yeah. you know traditional alpine ski buddies you know? well and I, I think there's education to be done in both camps Definitely. as well yeah i mean a person who comes from an alpine skiing background their skiing skills might be really on point and that's a really good safety thing yes whereas uh, someone who comes from the climbing side might not have that have that skiing skill or just that skiing know-how or being able to look at a snow condition and be like, that looks like it's punchy and that looks like it's solid yeah. or we should be skiing east faces at 8 a.m. or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, um, yeah it's all, it all kind of fits together. Yeah, definitely, because there's something that, uh, you know, when you're skiing at a resort and putting countless laps in on all different kinds of snow conditions over the course of a day, you just, there's no way to make up for that experience with getting a handful of backcountry laps, you know, on very limited snow conditions. So yeah, from an alpine ski perspective, you learn so much about snowpack from just countless laps over and over and over on different terrain. And so yeah, there's definitely a safety that comes with that, yeah. that experience that my more traditional climbing friends just don't have that kind of mm -hmm. ski background. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. Well, then also the more comfortable you are, the more likely you are to push it. And maybe that's not necessarily the sure. best idea. So <laughs> there's, there's two sides to it. But that really is a natural segue into my next question, which is, um, you know, you know, you just mentioned these sort of educational courses that you guys put on here. You guys do a lot of events for the community in, in, in the Front Range area. Yep. Uh, do you want to talk about sort of the motivation behind that and some of the different events that you do put on? Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the ones that led specifically to the Backcountry 101 sessions um, is an, a day that I was actually planning on going uh, backcountry skiing and the AVI conditions were really, really high. Um, I didn't have a ski partner that day anyways, and I ended up going skiing um, over at uh, at Mary Jane. Um, so going over Bertha Pass and going to a ski area. Then coming back when I was done, I was just skiing for the morning, coming back to work. Um, and I picked up a couple of hitchhikers that had been skiing that day. And uh, I, you know, just after picking them up and they were both wearing uh, Abbey packs, I was just kind of asking them, I was like, oh, 
how, how was the snow condition? I, you know, I was thinking of skiing up here earlier today, but continued on to the resort. And uh, I was like, did you guys, you know, what were what were the snow layers like? Um, did you dig in pits? And I'm like, oh, no, we've got these. And they pointed to their avi packs. And uh, I was just like, that, that was it? And they're like, oh, yeah, these things, if an avalanche goes up, you just pull this thing and, and you're good. And I was like, oh, man, this is uh, this is frightful. That's this scary. is something that, uh, you know, so I was trying not to have this, you know, tone of like condescending to them. But I was just like, oh, that's there's more to it than that. You know, it's like a seatbelt in a car. You know, you, you just kind of have it to assist if things go bad. But it's it's no guarantee. You still have to take the precautions of uh, just like any other day uh, without it, without an Abbey pack. And just it kind of got the wheels spinning. These guys uh, have been um, backcountry skiing. Uh, for a while, but more so, they never had used beacons up to. I mean, they're they uh, <laughs> listen, uh, they had used equipment more recently. They had been um, like safety equipment in the previous couple years. I found out, but they had been backcountry skiing just without any any preparation before that. And they were definitely the kind of boot. They they're the kind of guys that would boot pack out of resorts and go find find the goods, and eventually got to where they were carrying beacons, and then they kind of got the the avi packs and you know just kind of came from that mindset i was like oh man this is we sell avi packs this is uh something that we may not always convey the best in a sales floor conversation and you know a half hour conversation we need to go through all of this and so that was one of the the things that uh inspired the off sales floor classes um there are other type of events that we've done like just getting the ski season going for the season um as our shop grew, we just found that, you know, we got, um, like I myself got a little bit more out of touch with the community. It's like when we were two or three of us running the shop, I always felt like I, I knew everybody really well and they'd come in the door and I'd know most people by name and just had this really good sense of, uh, seeing, seeing my customer friends all the time. Um, we started just going, man, we're, you know, my office is down in the basement now and I'm not seeing those people as often. And, um, it was just kind of like that with a lot of our shop. We've got between our two shops, we've got a, almost 50 employees. Um, we all love to be part of the community, but we just kind of wanted to have um, these events, uh, which turned into our ski season kickoff party and at our bike shop, our bike junkies party, just as a way for um, not just staff and customers to connect, but the community to connect with either a ski movie or we kind of incorporated um, a little bit of backcountry safety or bike festivities everything from you know we've had like bike polo which has been kind of not the best activity it's more like seems more like a frat party game after you know that was one that we only had for one season where we's, we've had other stuff like beacon searches and um these little obstacle courses with backcountry safety tools that are ski season kickoff party and stuff that uh didn't get so off the charts uh, uh you know crazy um that we've continued so it's um, been these things where like, oh, this will be a good time to get the community together. And it's less about um, sales or those type of events, which have their own energy and bring a lot of people into the store. But it's just it's not the same. So we wanted to get some of these things going where it was just getting people in touch with other like minded people. Um, and then those have grown just with uh, working with uh, Abbey control groups or friends of birth to pass or uh, locally with the bike shop we work with. Um, the Golden Giddy Up crew and friends of um, Jefferson County, so trail building stuff, and it's just we kind of incorporate 
usually some aspect of something that's good for the community um, and just a good time of getting together and saying hey with your buddies and hanging out. So um, we do those. And then we, we have so many uh, amazing individuals in the front range uh, from climbing, skiing, biking, um, just all the different kind of activities we cover that we've um, just done some just basic slideshows or multimedia shows too. And those ones are just a little more standard uh, in the same room here. And, you know, it'll get like, you know, maybe 50 or 75 people, um, sometimes some new book releases or, you know, just more traditional stuff. But yeah, we try to do the uh, informational um like the BC 101 series, uh, once a week, a couple times a month, depending on the start of the season. You know, we kind of taper it depending on if it's the start of the season, end of the season. But, yeah, we try to keep those always as part of our mix. And then sure. the uh, slideshows and those, it's just when people have stuff they're, you know, that they approach us usually on those, uh, we usually just kind of see what kind of help they need and, and sure. go from there. But, yeah, we try to really be keeping the community aspect of the education sure. just part of every month. Yeah, yeah, and those um, those one those BC one one courses, those are more awareness courses. I I imagine less yeah, less along like actual in depth. It's if you had education. some yeah, if you had some time, like if you had if the store was dead and you had a really good salesperson there, someone that would talk you through maybe the gear you might need, okay. um, stuff from you know like with us renting gear, we'll see people like rolling up their skins to return them or just mm -hmm. throwing them in their pack, just everything from the type of binding selection that might be good. You know, um, right now it's been, you know, the past couple of years, almost everybody just goes to pin bindings. But for a while, it was really hard to convince people that like a marker Duke wasn't the best binding for putting on, you know, a hundred miles, uh, that, that, you know, that was more of a side country binding for what we would recommend. Or, mm -hmm. um, it was just, you know, gear choices all the way down to, uh, Avalungs, uh, Avi packs, understanding them, getting to come down here and pull the trigger on them and see what it's like. Uh, the importance of practicing with gear beforehand, uh, that it's not just a second nature thing. Like your seatbelt automatically catches you once you click it, but like an Avi pack, you have to have the awareness of how to find the the trigger and how to activate a pack and how to use an avalanche effectively if you do get cut because it's very difficult to uh to be in an avalanche situation and trying to get this breathing device in your mouth and there's just all these considerations that it's just like buying the product doesn't convey the, mm. the necessity of training um and then the beacons we go and we'll run down to the park and um sometimes uh like ordovox will loan us their kit and they have a, a whole bunch of uh cool tools to use and oh, cool. uh go out there with, I think they have eight practice beacons and we throw in our own from our fleet and people can go down and just find beacons and kind of figure out the different patterns that the beacons transmit, how to understand that, that it's a little bit different than using like a GPS that people might be used to or something. Yeah. So yeah, it's very much that. And then we do have a list of resources for uh, the avalanche schools that might be going on because this is not avalanche training. It's it's an awareness that you need avalanche training sure. and that you need to go talk with experts and do uh, field sessions and, and learn more about them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's more like what a, a salesman that has time might be able to guide you. Yeah. yeah, no, and um, an interesting point that you made is the is the need to practice with your with your gear Definitely. and um, especially in airbags. Like I had, a, I haven't really talked about this much actually, but recently I was in Japan and we were skiing and we came out of sort of this little stand of trees. We were just sort of skiing over this little this little knoll, you know, it was low angle, just like blower pow, and we're kind of skiing and I, I kind of am about 20 feet to the left of my of my buddy. It's total graybird. And uh, you know, it's not it's not steep. There's no like red flags. We've had great stability all day. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm just I'm falling. And turns out we were on the edge of this of this like 
cornice that you couldn't see because of this the shape of the slope and this cornice fell away and sort of right when I right when I sort of felt myself falling and I saw this like bus sized cornice break off in front of me like I reached for my I reached for my thing for my airbag trigger and basically the the cornice kind of fell on top of me it was really soft light snow so it kind of just like pushed me into the ground but rolled over the top of me and it knocked my hand off my trigger and like there was there was no chance of me making it there luckily i kind of fell i fell about like 15 feet and just stopped because it was low enough angle where it wasn't that steep and um but yeah my hand was like under my trigger not on it and that was the first thing i thought go for it but even even though because like i've practiced that a lot i've pulled a lot of different airbags even in that situation it's like i wasn't fast enough wow and um more yeah more practice can definitely not hurt and to learn from stupid mistakes that people make uh i think that's that's good for people so just to have that awareness of absolutely yeah, yeah it's been uh hammered into my head one of our uh guys that we we used to work with uh when we first got these going i guess uh, scott teffer of the um colorado avalanche information center he does a lot of the investigation uh with avalanche fatalities and he really brought it to my attention you know different things over the years as far as like some of the shovels that might be good for making kickers out of versus hey these aren't avi rescue shovels they're being sold as that and, and we quit carrying certain types of shovels because of some of that input and he was one of the guys um just reporting you know in, in uh letting me know about like the importance of practicing with an avalanche back this was even before mm-hmm. um airbags you know and just really how difficult it is and how people that do still die in these avalanches are wearing avalanches and you know that that's it's like man that trying to get this in your mouth um during the you know it's like it's good to practice falling down a hill and trying to get mm-hmm. this thing in your mouth to see if, if, if you're relying on this and just little things like that with uh these people that have greater insight than I do out in the field over the years has really played into our selection of gear that we carry for, um, for like avalanche gear in this particular situation and the kind of training that we think should go with that gear. Um, and you know, has led to these backcountry one-on-one sessions. Well, and I mean, I think that's really important, especially as backcountry skiing booms around the world. But I mean, especially here in the Denver area, I'm sure you guys get a a ton of people in here who don't really know what, what they're doing at all. And, a little bit of education can go a long way just just enough to get someone to say like oh hey maybe i shouldn't just go out and rip around on birth and pass not right not really understanding what's going on that there's something something more that i need to understand i think that's an important role that a community shop plays so i think, think that's great definitely and it's given that. our sales people a little bit of a, of a tool to use whereas if they don't have time to go through everything that uh, they would like to with certain gear and it's you know it's things like airbags and avalons or beacons it gives them a tool to be able to direct the customer to to one of these resources you know so that they feel like they're not leaving the customer hanging just because they're busy with you know fitting boots for four other people or something like that which gets really you know kind of stressful and um it, it gives us a tool to where we can do do things off the sales floor at a little, little bit different environment and with you know, experts that are not trying to sell them gear. You know, a lot yeah. of these, we, our staff do lead uh, some of these, but like I said, you know, we have people from all over the front range that come in and, and lead out on these things throughout the season for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. What sort of, out of everything you guys carry in the shop, what are your favorite, like one or two pieces of gear? If you're like, whatever it is, maybe it's a tenacious tape or like a <laughs> arcteryx jacket or some ski or whatever what um, do you what are you into right now right now um 
black crows have been on my list with skis. I actually have four or five pairs mounted up in my garage, which I don't like having a boatload <laughs> of skis, but there's enough bind right now. Um, just the different kind of bindings and what I had in mind for each of them has been different. So I've been really into the ski line and what they've got going. And honestly, each one of those skis I could have as my only ski for most stuff, but I've got like Noctas with kingpins for my backcountry soft snow days. And then on the other side, I've got like orb Freebirds, uh, which are some 90 wasted skis with some very light pin bindings on them. And then I've got, um, Corvuses with some look, uh, pivot bindings on them for this is my first year of owning Alpine boots in 20 some years. So I was like, <laughs> Oh man, all this stuff is getting so interesting. Um, trying out just different stuff. And so it really has been fun for me to just, you know, see some big powerful skis again and not just everything being, you know, focusing on likes, everything is still light, um, relative to what I remember, uh, when sure. I was doing a lot of this stuff years ago with Alpine gear, but, um, yeah, everything from um, kingpin bindings have been one of my favorite things for the last couple of years, and I'm actually really curious to see how the new shift binding is going to be. That's good. And I, I've good. got a pair. <laughs> I'm actually psyched. We were able to get a pair. Um, our Solomon uh, guys got us a pair with some of their new Quest 106 skis. So yeah. uh, we've got some shifts that we've been getting out on, and yeah, the feedback has been phenomenal. I've um, gone out one day, and then we've had several guys go out on them over and over and yeah. over and just like, yeah, these things are legit. This is, this is changing things. This is, you know, get ready for another big, big shakeup with what we're doing on the retail floor. Yeah. And we're already having conversations like, <laughs> where does this start and where does it end with this, this consumer? So right now it's, uh, the category of the Alpine crossover with the, uh, the pin touring is actually really exciting. So I'm yeah. really into that. You know, that, uh, that shift in that QST 106 combo, I've got probably about 10 to 15 days on that right now. And, yeah. uh, and I also have another 10 days on a different shift setup, but that binding is, we've said it a lot on the website and I'll double down. It's amazing. It's, They're going to sell good. so many of them. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. really blown away with how simple it is and how it, it does operate so much just like an Alpine binding when that's what you're doing. And then it's just the, uh, yeah, it was really it was really impressive the how clean that binding is mm -hmm. for being like a MacGyver device when you first start. When I first started <laughs> flicking it around, going, "What? What? This is gonna be holy shit! How does this work?" Totally. Yeah, I was like, "Because yeah, yeah. we're actually putting um, we're putting a lot of those into our demo uh, fleet next mm. year." And my question was like, "Is this?" are we going to get people stranded in the back country because they won't be able to figure out how to use it? And then once I got out and used it myself, I was like, Oh no, this is totally obvious. Once you, you need to go into tour mode and get back out. It's, it's not too bad. But when you start looking at the, the little levers that you, you get <laughs> play with, it's like, wow, this is, this is interesting. So. No, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's an engineering feat. I mean, the way, really the way they packed it all in and it's, as simple as I think it possibly could be. Yeah. And it's really cool. The downhill performance is amazing. We've been in Telluride for the past few weeks. Okay. Skiing it back to back against marker jesters and Tyrolia attacks, like full okay. Alpine yeah. bindings. And really, besides the fact that it's uh, between two and 400 grams lighter than some of those right. Alpine bindings, there's no performance gap that we that we've been able to tell. That's good. And that's hear. pretty yeah. impressive. And I've also not had any icing issues or any durability okay. problems. And, um, yeah, we're really psyched on it. Cool. Yeah, we are too. Most of our guys have uh, spent more days backcountry on it. I've skied mm -hmm. at the resort one day um, and was totally impressed with it there. But it wasn't skiing it head to head with anything. It was just like, wow, this is. Yeah. It was more of being amazed and having fun on it myself and trying to figure it out. But it skied really well and uh, 
most of our guys that have taken out here have been doing it over and over in the backcountry and like trying to see if it ices up and, sure, sure. and what they'll compare it to. And yeah, it's weight falls in a very respectable category. So yeah, we're planning on putting it on a lot of our demo skis. So we're kind of, we're trying to play the ends. Sometimes we play, you know, we put stuff more in the middle of what we ramped of like, mm-hmm. okay, this will work well for more people. But we've, we've got the new, like the G3 uh, Z coming out yep. on yep. for our pin binding on our lightweight setups. And then we're hopping straight on up to the shift for our, you know, um, little bit heavier pin binding slash alpine binding and so we're going to cover those and then have alpine uh bindings on you know the just the heavier ski setups so yeah i think that's that's real logical i haven't i'll be getting on the Z next week for the first time which i'm really excited for because it sounds like a pretty incredible binding yeah it seems uh, to be just really refined down from like what they've mm -hmm. done with the ion and combining the the din value screws you know eliminating one and and uh, yeah, they've shaved weight in smart ways, and it still seems really user-friendly and robust, uh, really easy to step in and out, which has always been a, a big part of why our customers mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the G3 bindings. It's, it doesn't take uh, a lot of force to get your toes to engage. Yeah. And, and that yeah. deeper V on the toe, I think, just holds you into the into I, the toe better. I, I think have so. have so many yeah. less pre-releases on that G3 than I do on a DinaFit. Yeah. But that's, that's my experience. Yeah. No, we, we seem to... <laughs> be in line with that with what we see too so yeah, yeah sure. it's a, it'll be a very different demo binding mix than we've ever had so uh well and we'll, we're doing that to get a lot of feedback and we we let our reps know it's like hey we're putting these in here um hopefully there won't be issues but mm-hmm. we'll be given a lot of feedback uh you know if there are or if there are if there aren't uh, issues you know we'll be you'll be knowing so we can support how we're selling them on the floor because yeah. they're both going to be you know at, at two ends of where we typically sell binding so yeah, we're looking forward to it. Ah, that's cool. It's a cool, cool season. All right, next. Yep. Um, this is a question that we, that I, I think is really interesting because from the shop perspective, you guys get people coming in all the time. You deal with all the warranty claims and blah blah blah. Yep. Um, as far as the most durable products you guys sell, what what sort of stands out as like that product is super bomber? We never have it come back or. Or Icelandic like skis seem to do pretty good. Really? Okay. It's one that, um, honestly, it's been, uh, yeah, amazing because uh, we've been a big tele shop for years and um, have sold most of our skis on our walls pretty well with tele bindings. And over the last couple of years, uh, I think as tele has been um, declining in the North American market anyways, uh, a lot of our lighter weight skis or our skis that have the really round flex that tele skiers like, um, there have been a lot of skis on our wall that we haven't been able to put tele bindings on because we're just having all kinds of binding pullout issues. Sure, sure. Um, there's just been other other things where skis have not been as durable. And Icelandics, we have had a really, really good uh, track record with uh, their durability. Um, they put big edges on. You know, they're they're just they've been really solid. Um, Hammerhead bindings have been one, you know, in the tele sure, okay. um, world, because that's again tele tele equipment tends to blow up pretty dramatically when it goes. It's under mm-hmm. a lot of pressure, and uh, we've seen a lot of stuff go over the years. And um, that's actually I'm saying hammerheads instead of axles and vices. Yeah, hammerheads just carried carried that through. But yeah, that's it's been an ongoing. You know, the 22 design bindings is probably a better way of, of putting that. But yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that as far as tele bindings, and and it seems like that's where the you know, there's not too many tele bindings uh, around anymore. Um, it seems like uh, you know, Black Diamond's gotten out of the game. We still sell a few volets, but not too many. 
Um, but yeah, with uh, tele, tele setups, we've had really, really good luck with uh, the 22 design bindings in general, both the uh, the 75 millimeter bindings and, and the NTN stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of what other categories. Arcteryx clothing continues to, to be um, one of the things that we recommend because of the durability yeah. um, issues. It's like things continue to get lighter uh, with Arcteryx to the to the point that like jackets that are expedition jackets weigh what rain jackets used to weigh um, 10 years ago. And we're not seeing any increase in warranty from durability um, issues with those guys. And we, we really thought as they were growing and hitting more of a mass consumer base that we'd be seeing a lot more of that as they were trying to appeal to more people and having their own stores and just really trying to grow that. But we've seen a huge, um, you know, it's been great seeing uh, durability has yeah. remained with Arcteryx. Uh, well, and that's impressive too, because they 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 changed factory locations from Canada to overseas. What was that a few years ago now? They have, yeah. Um, and you guys didn't see any uptick. That's that's incredible. It is, yeah. yeah. And it's like I think the we still sell quite a few of their alphas and betas and uh, the jackets that are still made in Canada. Mm-hmm. But most of the white line, I believe, their ski mm-hmm. uh, focused jackets are made overseas, and we've had really really good luck. Um, we've had. I think one season uh, with some zipper issues on some of their, uh, I think it was like in some of their down products, but um, I actually had a zipper go out uh, for the first time on a down jacket that I had gotten. And I guess we had had a batch, but in general, considering we've carried them since we've, you know, since I think 96, it's been a very, very good, um, their durability has been impressive. What sort of one or two products in the shop do you think are the best bang, bang for the buck right now? Man, and, and ski, well, talking clothing, Flylo continues to be, I think, uh, the jackets and bibs, pants, I think they put a awesome product out for the price. Uh, I know they do some higher uh, price stuff that competes uh, with Arcteryx and Mammut and some of the other brands, but where we saw a lot of Flylo is in stuff that's you know $200 less. And when you look at some of the de- details, it's not quite as... Um, detailed out as some of those brands like that but durability over the years seems to be really good and functionality is where it really shines you know they Mm. put smart pockets really well designed bands stuff like that so i always come back to like flylo always seems to like one of those really good values uh in our shop um trying to think from other categories uh black crow skis i thought to me that was one that we actually i think really perform well at their price point and uh especially some of the like our backcountry skis from them include some skins with the in the price and uh we've seen uh, a lot of success there based on how they ski and that whole ratio of how well they ski at the price they're at has been um really good from what at least with our mix you know our mix sure, tends to be sure. a, be a little higher end than some shops so i think some people might look at those prices and be like that's expensive but um, you know, we do sell skis that are $1,300 for a pair of skis. You know, we, DPS has been our strongest selling ski line ever since we got on board with them in 2010, I believe. We were DPS's mm-hmm. first uh, retail store, and we've worked with DPS over the years. But they're very expensive, and they ski awesome. They're some of the best soft snow skis out there. But, um, yeah, they're spendy. So, <laughs> yes, yes yeah, they so are. <laughs> it's, it just depends on what you're comparing to. So, um, yeah, those are a couple that initially stand out. All right, we're going to end with a super um, glamorous question. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Climbing skins. Yes. That was a joke. They're not actually glamorous at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
So kind of, again, you have this shop perspective of people coming in and things like that. As far as just like ease of use, durability, um, easy to recommend skins, what uh, what are your guys' go-tos? Oh, man, this has been a moving target for us the last couple of years. And it's we have had so many years of success with the G3 skins, but the last two seasons, from what I've been hearing on the floor, the glue has been an issue, and we've had some issues there. And so... I don't have a clear answer. We've had really good luck with Pomoka. Their uh, top, I can't even think of the name of their top one, but it's got the membrane in it. It's got their like uh, hybrid glue technology. But we sell probably 20 per, only 20% of those skins uh, compared to like our Black Diamonds and our G3s. Okay, yeah. um, and Black Diamond had a really good season for us, uh, actually last couple seasons. So... Um, I don't have a, a super clear answer because it, it changes every couple years for us. I would have said G3, and we're banking on G3. They've actually addressed their mm-hmm. their issues, I think, for next year. And we're actually um, bumping up our orders, and their attachment system's awesome. They're, uh, we've had really good success with that, and that new the Scala LT kind of tip is going on to most of their stuff. So I have great hopes there. We're putting them, um, that's what we're using as our um, demo skin so that we yep. can see if we can be recommending these because um, the, they're light, they seem to glide well, um, but it goes, that remains to be seen. So oh. right now, if I had to pick one, it would probably be a Pomoka. I just don't have near the, we don't have near the sales volume there to sure. really have a solid, like, yes, this is it. Sure. Well, that, that's interesting how uh, how finicky the, the the glue really is it is year to year some 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 years i'm like oh these you know I have three pairs of bd skins that are just great 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 and yep. you get one you're like oh my god like what happened or a g3 skin is the same thing they go back and forth and it's, it's there's no clear winner it seems to go in like yeah. two or three like they'll have a season or two or even three that we've seen where they just go back and forth and uh generally the companies are really good we had one year where g3 this was several years ago but g3 is like yeah if someone has bad glue just trade them in off the shelf no need to send them in for warranty and you can send in a batch you know at a time yeah, send in 10 yeah. pairs because we know they're we're having issues with that batch and so they're awesome with them uh black diamond's always awesome it's just a matter of skins are such a important aspect of a trip that we try to take care of people right away so that they don't have to wait on the warranty process sure. but it can be frustrating if we don't have the exact size that they need in or something but I think in general we've had enough good luck with uh, G3 and Black Diamond that they're both easy to recommend. Unfortunately, they have both had their uh, off seasons, but um, yeah, we've quit carrying other skin brands that we haven't had good yeah, good sure. luck with. So one that's on my radar and that I've been using under the Black Crow's uh, private label has been the Contour skins. Mm, okay. And Camp yeah. is here in Golden and they're distributing those and we've been uh, we're bringing them in next year. It's they're glueless. I. I went out on them several times uh, with my Black Crows uh, ski setup that they were, you know, they kind of came as a package. And I was like, man, I don't know. These things just don't seem to stick yeah. at all here in the shop. And I'd take them on and off, like with just a flick of a wrist almost. And uh, so I, I would tour and take another set of uh, G3 skins that I had with me to back them up. And I never had to use them. And I'd actually make a point of before we decided to bring in the uh, the Black Crows labeled skins or now the Contour ones, I made a point of going out and throwing them around in the snow, putting pine needles on them, and then just seeing what I could do to rub the skin along my edge and clean them off and put them on. And I was blown away with, uh, I never had issues with them. And really? It was, it was on days that I've uh, that other guys with more traditional glue and, and more uh, skins that we knew worked well were having 
minor issues and like my skins i was like yeah these aren't gonna stay on i'm gonna be duct taping these or belay strapping them on or something and i've never had to do that with them and i've had many many days with them and they're i don't know i've been super impressed with them that is impressive yeah they're they're good so we're gonna we're bringing them in as uh under the contour um label this year and it's like i think we're gonna be you know trying them out and recommending them so i've had i've had personally pretty good luck with them yeah no I've, i've not used them yet i uh that's 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 a very very interesting bit of feedback that i'll have to try yeah they're impressive and they go they they're really small for the you know the yeah. size they offer. So. Well, it seems like it seems like if you could dial in glueless technology, that just takes out the big X factor yeah. of skins. You yeah. know, so hopefully, hopefully that stuff gets dialed in and it's great. Yeah, um, that's yeah. Never need to borrow some. Yeah, if you want to check them out. <laughs> well, there you guys. I may have to hit you up with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But hey, Greg, uh, I think uh, I think we've run out of time here. Cool. Probably run over a. Yeah. more than we should have but uh, that was cool. a great conversation thanks for taking the time to talk to us yeah absolutely thanks for uh, having me on it's uh, been a fan of uh, blister for for many years you know and it's like love following and seeing what you guys do so glad to be part of it yeah well so, we're we're glad that uh, golden in the front range has a shop like bentgate that's awesome. uh, thank you it's a great resource cool cool thanks a lot man yeah sure thanks, man. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Greg Floyd for the conversation and the insight. And if you'd like to catch Bentgate's last Backcountry 101 session for the season, it is taking place at Bentgate on April 4th from 6 to 7 p.m. in Golden, Colorado. Of course, I want to say thanks to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob. And now I am actually going to go get on the mountain and get my first tour in in the new Fisher Ranger Free 130 boot. So stay tuned for updates on that, and we will talk to you again soon. Take care, everybody.